Vayigash Elav Yehuda. The opening words of the parsha Yehuda approaches Joseph and demands the release of his brother Binyamin. The portion continues that Yosef Fatsadik, the viceroy of Egypt, can no longer contain himself, and he reveals his true identity. The brothers are now stymied; they're confused. They are now in trouble. They sold their brother as a slave, and now he's the viceroy. They are certain he's going to take revenge. What does Yosef reply? He says the following. Verse number 8. loy atem shalachtem You are to know. It was not you who sent me down here as a slave. It was not you who sent me into bondage. It was not you who put me in prison. This was all the act of God. And look at this. God has placed me to be a father to Pharaoh. And a master to his entire palace. And I am now the ruler of the entire land of Egypt. The Torah goes on to say that Pharaoh, here's the good news, tells Joseph, send up wagons, agolois, to your father and bring your father down here. The parasha continues that Jacob sees the wagons. Vayar esagolois asheshalach Yosef in verse number 27. And Jacob sees the wagons that Joseph sent. Vatechi ruach Yaakov avim and the spirit of Jacob his father was revived. The spirit of Jacob was now revived. How do we understand this? What is the message for all of us? First and foremost, we need to understand in our daily life, each person has their peckle. Each person has their challenges. Each person has their tsuris. And we like to blame it on our neighbor, on our spouse, on our teachers, on our rabbis, on the president of the United States, on the governor, on the mayor, on the senators, on the politicians, on the policemen, etc., etc., etc. Comes along Yosef and he teaches us a most powerful, powerful lesson. After 22 years being separated from his father, you would think he would carry a grudge he tells his brothers, you should know, you did not send me here. You didn't make this happen to me. This was God's plan. I am a shliach of God. I am an emissary of God. And God had his intention. There was a plan here. There was a blueprint. He placed me to be a father to Pharaoh, a master to the palace, and the ruler of the entire land of Egypt. This is a lesson for all of us that when we go through hard times and then Baruch Hashem, we get out of these difficult times. We have to declare that God sent me into that situation for a reason. That I should become stronger and better. And to become a Moishel, to become 
a ruler on Egypt. Egypt etymologically means borders and constraints. It's the same word as tsar, saris, problems. All of these Egypts that we have in our lives, we need to become the ruler over this Egypt. This has to make us stronger, better than ever before. And we need to declare this lesson to everybody, not only to ourselves, to our neighbors. When they say, oh, I feel so bad for you. Thank you. But Baruch Hashem, look how I emerged triumphantly. Look how much better I became. Look how much more powerful I am today. And so Yosef became an influencer. He now influenced the entire land of Egypt, the empire of that time. And this concept is also connected to the holiday of Hanukkah that we just celebrated this past week. What is the mitzvah of Hanukkah? The mitzvah of Hanukkah is to light the candles, Mishetishka Hachamo, when the sun has set. The sun represents light, it represents joy, it represents glory, when all of this has set. And now you find yourself in the abyss, in darkness, says Torah, now you are to light the candle. Now bring light to that situation. And not only in your house, not only for you, but make all the people around you also see that light and see that glory of Almighty God. Not only that, what is the, the mitzvah of Hanukkah? Mahadrin mina mahadrin. In other words, there are three levels and three layers to every mitzvah. And primarily we find this by Hanukkah. In other words, the mitzvah of Hanukkah is to light one candle for eight nights. In other words, the first night light one candle. Second night, also one candle. Third night, also one candle. Each night, light a candle for eight nights. If you do this, you fulfill the mitzvah of Hanukkah. Yet, even the most secular of, of Jews, each night increase a second candle. And the third night, a third candle. That's Mahadrin, which means you go beyond the letter of the law. And not only does one person in the family do it, but if you have a few children, each of the children do it. Now again, according to Jewish law, one candle per family is enough. Yet each family, each child has their own menorah, and each one increases. It's called mahadrin mina mahadrin. Three levels of beauty, three levels of perfection. You would think you're in a place of darkness. You have plenty of excuses not to serve God. God, things are not so great this year. My paycheck was cut in half. Inflation has doubled. And things in life is not so great. You know, I have COVID. I have a flu. And other things are not so great. You know, you took this one away from me and that family member away from me. I'm now in darkness. I have a very good excuse not even to put on one candle. Why does the Torah teach us? Not only should you light one candle, but every member of your family light a candle. And don't only stop with one candle, continue to light the candles. And where do you light it? Not in your bedroom, behind closed doors. Not only on the dining room table for the family. You light it outside, by the window. Pesach, basim, abachos, in the streets, in the public domain. Why? Because you're going to use this darkness. You're going to use this Meitzar, this Tsaris. You're going to use this Egypt to bring tremendous light to the entire world. <clears throat> the Torah continues 
that not only is Joseph alive, but he is now the ruler of the entire Egypt. Why is that so important? When they go back to tell Jacob that your son Yosef is alive, Jacob would have been very happy to hear that he's a survivor. You know, he became a slave, and then he was thrown into prison, but he's alive. He's missing two feet, he's missing an eyeball, but you know what? He survived. They come back and say, no, not only did he survive, In life, we have these challenges. And these challenges pull us down. And very often, one who has a connection to God, one who is religious, has now many excuses why they can't pray three times a day, why they can't study Torah anymore, why they can't give charity anymore, because they're not in the same situation they were years ago. And now the Torah says, when they came back, to their father, Jacob. They said to him, you should know, not only did Joseph not lose his Jewish identity, not only did he not lose his connection to God, but he now transformed the entire Egypt. He used that the opportunity to become an influencer and to transform a land of idolatry, a land of promiscuity, to now be a land that is following the seven Noahide laws. As the Talmud tells us, he circumcised all the Egyptian men and he brought in many, many laws of Torah, of the Noahide laws, into the land of Egypt. So this is the basic pshat. The basic interpretation of the story of Joseph revealing himself. What is the remez? What is the hint? We find at the beginning of the parsha that Yehuda approaches Joseph. Our rabbis tell us that this is a lesson in prayer. That one should always associate and connect Gu'ula Litfila. In other words, practically after you say the bracha, Baruch Atah Hashem Gal Yisrael, blessed are you God, the Redeemer of Israel, immediately after that you should begin the Amidah, you should begin the prayer. Yehuda represents the prayer. Because prayer is about Hidah praising God. That is Yehuda. Yosef represents Geula, represents redemption. He brought redemption to the land of Egypt and to the family of Jacob. And so Yehuda now approaches Joseph to connect these two together. In other words, when we pray, we should pray for redemption. And by praying, this brings about the redemption. What is Drush, the homiletics? The most powerful lesson of this parsha, on the level of drush, is two words. It's called anger management. <laughs> the biggest proof and lesson and inspiration for anger management is the story of Joseph. Now, on one hand, the Rambam tells us, Kol a person who's angry and acts in rage is an idolater. An idolater. Now you can argue, well, that person hurt me. I have a right to respond. Mm-hmm. Yet the Torah teaches us differently. It happened to you. Accept it 
and move on. You have to protect your life, you have to protect your family, but don't act out of rage. Don't lose control of the situation. The moment you lose control, you lose your godly soul. At that moment, you deny God's reality. Yosef does not get angry, he gets even. But he never screams at his brothers, gets angry at his brothers, takes revenge on his brothers. He brings them to tshuva to do repentance. But at the end of the day, he says, I am your brother. And I will protect you. And what you did to me had nothing to do with you. This was God's job. Mm -hmm. This was God's shlichus. This was my emissary work. It was all about me, not about you. And in life, we need to realize the same thing. When things happen to us, this is God sending us a message. Now, the people who did it, the perpetrators, they'll have to answer to God. It's a separate situation. But you yourself, when you look in the mirror, you have to acknowledge that this was supposed to happen to me for a reason. How can I grow from this? Not how do I get revenge on those people. Anger management, drush, homiletics, on the story of Joseph. Soid, what is the esoteric? It says over here in the Pasuk, that Joseph tells his brothers, you did not send me here. Who sent me here? Kiim ho elikim. Elikim sent me here. Now, we know that God has two general names, even though he has at least seven names, or ten names, 72 names, etc., etc. But the two most popular names of God is Hashem and Elikim. Hashem is the God of Rachamim, of mercy. Elohim is the God of judgment. Elohim is the God of severity, of harshness. Everything in life that we do and where we are is a shlichus of God. God wants us here at this moment, at this time, at this location. We need to do something here. Sometimes it's Hashem, it's the God of mercy who sends us here. It's very apparent. It's very clear why we are here. And sometimes, unfortunately, it's Elohim. It is the God of harshness and the God of judgment. It is Elohim, as Kabbalah calls it, symptom, contraction. It's like childbirth. However, we have to know that this is part of our mission why we are here, and if we are able to get to the core of it and find the essence of it, and we are able to hone that energy, then it becomes totally transformed to a likim, a level of God that is even higher than Avaya, even higher than the Tetragrammaton. It becomes a powerful God of kindness, a force of kindness in this world. And this is what happened with Joseph. On one hand, he was thrown into a pit. And on the other hand, he was sold as a slave. And then went into prison. And look what happened. He became the most powerful person in the world. Do you know how many years he was the viceroy of Egypt? From the age of 30 to 110. It's a pretty long time in those days. Job security. 80 years. 80 years. So this is the message of the parsha. 
to take every adversary, every challenge, every difficulty, and transform it, and become Moishel, become a ruler over these things. What does Chassidus say? Yaakov saw the wagons that Joseph sent. Who sent the wagons? Pharaoh. Why does it say, and he saw the wagons that Joseph sent? Says Rashi, the classic commentator, that it was really a hint. Joseph is telling his father, you should know, before I was sent as a slave down into Egypt, we were studying Talmud together. We were studying the laws of the Egla Arufa, which is the calf that is decapitated. And I still remember these laws. Don't think I forgot my Torah. Don't think I forgot my Yiddishkeit. Don't think I forgot about my Frumkeit. I am intact the same way I was with you 22 years ago. I am that same Joseph. You should know Yosef Chai, your son Joseph, is alive spiritually. The same way he was alive physically. And furthermore, what is the message of the Egla Rufa the animal that is decapitated. The Gemara tells us that there's a law in the Torah. If a corpse is found outside of a city and you don't know who is the murderer, so you take a little baby calf, you decapitate it, and all the rabbis come together and they make a big, big tzimis. They come together and they make a big, big conference and they discuss it and they scream, and they shout, how is it possible that someone murdered another person? Etc., etc., etc. Now, the, the basic objective of this entire gathering is really PR. Years ago, before newspapers and, and Twitter and all these things, the way you got the word out was by getting people together, doing something which was crazy and exotic, like chopping the back of the head of a calf. People would go hysterical, why are you doing this crazy thing? And then it would come to to realization that, unfortunately, there was a child or a person that was murdered, and hopefully they would find the murderer. This is the practical, the the practical application of this law. However, at a much deeper level, the concept of Sadat finding a corpse in a field represents a field is a place where one does not belong. We belong in the city, in the yeshiva, in the shul, in spirituality, one who leaves that norm, one that leaves that setting was Esav. Esav, who was a wicked person, was called Esadah, man of the field. How is it possible that all of us, we started together at Sinai, we are all standing under the mountain and we say, Nasev in Ishmael, we will do, we will listen. How is it possible that we migrated into the field? How is it possible that spiritually there, there are those who are totally cut off, and they are demised from, from Yiddishkeit, from Judaism. And this is really what the conference is all about. This is really why the rabbis are getting together. How is it possible that we all started out at the same place, and now, unfortunately, we have children and grandchildren who are leaving the fold. And by getting together, they come up with new ideas how to strengthen, how to strengthen Yiddishkeit, how to strengthen Judaism how to strengthen our connection with Almighty God, and by doing so, 
we are, we are protecting the future that once again such ordeals should never like this happen. So Yosef is telling his father, not only am I in control of Egypt, not only am I protecting my brothers, not only am I teaching them about God, but I am protecting the future generations to make sure that they too forever and ever will be connected with their God and with their Torah and his commandments. So this is the, the message of the parsha. All of this is connected with a very important historical event, and that is known as Hey Tevis, the fifth of Tevis, which in the year 1987, January 6th, on the fifth of Tevis, in the year Tafshin, Mem, Zayin, a court order came out right here, a few blocks away, downtown Brooklyn, the federal court, that the library of Agudez Hasidic Chabad belongs to the Chassidim and is not privately owned by people, but rather it belongs to the Chassidim of the previous Rebbe. And this became a big day known as Didan Natsach, a day of today is our victory. At that time, the Rebbe spoke the importance of increasing Chabad houses throughout the entire world, and that every single home should become a Chabad house. What does that mean? Every single home, by the fact that you have in your house a Siddur, and a Chumash, and a Tzedakah box, your house now becomes a place for Almighty God. And we have to increase in the awareness of God not only in the synagogues or in the yeshivas, but each person now becomes a shaliach, an emissary of God. Just like Joseph was the emissary of God, each one of us becomes the emissary of God. And we have to become a walking menorah. And we have to light up the world around us. In the, in the following years, the Rebbe added to this date by saying that it's a time to buy svarim. It's a, it's a time to buy Jewish books. And, and to build up your personal library, your Jewish library in your home. And this is a day of Didan Natsach, a day that we are victorious. And the Rebbe at that time asked that people throughout the entire world should send in their names and the mother's names. And he would bring it to the tomb of his father-in-law, the previous Abba Rebbe, whose name was Yosef, and pray on behalf of Klai Yisrael, on behalf of the Jewish people. Many, many great miracles happened on that day, and we continue year after year to pray on this day at the, at the tomb of, of, the, of the Rebbe and the previous Rebbe for salvation and for blessing. The word Didan Natsach became the title and the coin of the entire episode. And the Rebbe associated this terminology with a teaching in the Medrash. The Medrash says that there was a rabbi who was a leader of his community. Every morning before services, he would take a walk on the water, on the beach. He would clear his mind. He would meditate on the greatness of God. And one day, a spirit came over to him and said, you know, I am the good spirit that protects this community. However, in a few days, a bad spirit is going to come. And this bad spirit is going to try to take over the entire community. And therefore, I'm advising you 
to take the entire community that morning and bring them to the waterfront. And they should bring their pots and pans and their spoons and their forks and their kachlafels. And they should get on the beach. And when they see the waters become very rough and the waves begin to become very high, they should bang away on these pots. And they should scream, Di da notzach, di da notzach, di da notzach. We are victorious. We are victorious. We are victorious. And keep on screaming and shouting until the water will subside. And you will see a dot of red blood in the water. And that's what happened. The rabbi came back to his community and he said, tomorrow morning, we're getting up early, we're going to the waterfront, schlep all of your pots and all of your vessels, and we're going to make a lot of noise. And they did it. And the waters began to become very rough and very noisy, and they began to scream, Didan Natsach. And a short while later, everything became calm, and they saw the red blood, the death of this evil spirit upon the water. In life, we have to be strong, and we have to believe in Hashem, that we are going to be victorious, even when it's challenging, even when you're in the prison, even when you're in darkness, even when the name of Elohim is prevalent over the name of Havaya. We cannot give up our hope, we cannot give up our trust that things will truly be in a revealed way good. And we have to call out with, with our strength, So this is a personal plea and a personal cry that each of us, anytime we have a tzara, we have a problem, you stand up there and you take a pot in your house and you bang away and you say, And you're going to see tremendous salvation, tremendous blessing in everything that we do. So just like we are now concluding the holiday of Hanukkah, and what is unique about Hanukkah is that we see the light of the mitzvah. Even though every time we do a mitzvah, it brings light into the world. But that light is concealed. It's put away for the future. When it comes to Hanukkah, and we light the menorah, we see the light with our very eyes. So too, all of these blessings should be revealed that we should see it with our very eyes and the ultimate blessing, the coming of Mashiach, the rebuilding of the Third Holy Temple, the Mehera Bimenu Amen.